Sound check. Jim, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Great. Great. Thanks. Dr. Kemp, are you there? Dr. Kemp, testing. Are you there? All right, testing. Bernard, are you there? Testing. Dr. Kemp, are you there? Sound check, are you there? Sound yes. Hey, brother. All right, good. All right, stay right there. I'm going to meet you. I'm ready to go with you. Dr. Kemp, are you there? Marlo? Sound check, testing, are you there? Ms. Bernard, testing, are you there? You gotta speak up a lot more. Is there a way you can turn the mic up? I can't hear you at all. I can barely hear you at all. Okay. okay, Dr. Kemp's going to work with you because I can barely hear you at all. I'll come back to you in a second.
testing. Dr. Kemp, can you hear me? Hmm. Testing, Ms. Bernard, can you hear me? Testing, Dr. Kemp, testing. Testing, Ms. Bernard, testing. Sound check. Dr. Kemp, sound check. Are you there? Dr. Dr. Kemp, sound check. Are you there? Dr. Kemp, sound check. Yes, can you hear me? Good, now I can, all right. Ms. Bernard, sound check. Are you there? Ms. Bernard, sound check. Are you there? Sound check. I have you all unmuted. Ms. Bernard, can you hear me?
nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Good evening. Welcome to another evening of Dr. Cliff Burton Friends featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. Tonight is usual. We have a great show coming up for you. I'm going to let my co-host say hello to you. Jim, say hello to everybody. Hey, what up, though? <laughs> all righty. I'm going to let Steve say hello to everybody. Good evening, everyone. All righty, Steve. Sounds good. And I'm going to let Dr. Kemp say hello to everybody. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you. All righty. And we are still uh, getting this is, um, Ms. Bernard, Robert Bernard, set up. She's coming through. So we have a great show for us tonight. Now, we're going to have just about a 15-second moment of silence. We're going to talk about a story that's been on the top of our minds for quite a while. Moment of silence. All righty. Now, we're going to start out with a follow-up story tonight. Uh, we began this year in January with a tragic story. People remember a young man in Memphis, Tennessee. His name was Tyree Nichols. The young man was beaten to death by five policemen, all African-American, Tyrese and the policemen. And um, we wanted to follow up with this story just to see what was going on. Uh, initially, and many have seen the video, all the policemen pleaded not guilty to state and federal charges. But recently, just a week or so ago, one of the policemen uh, Mr. Mills has agreed to cooperate with state and federal investigations. He pleaded guilty. And uh, he began to explain exactly what has gone on and went on that night. And the Nichols family, his mother, is uh, agreeing with the plea deal with the federal feds, these are fed charges, uh, that he should get 15 years. All of this trial was supposed to begin this upcoming August. And so this is a big turn of events, not just for him, but for the other officers involved. Uh, James, give me your thoughts on this case thus far. You know, it's just a sad tale of uh, respect and abuse by the police where this young man was beaten for no apparent reason and is dead now. You know, it's just tragic all around. Mm -hmm. Get an African American policeman doing this to him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, Dr. Kemp, give me your thoughts. Um, as Jim said, I think it's um, really tragic, and I am just you know really glad at this point that um, at least somebody is is taking some accountability for their actions and hopefully it'll bring a very 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 small piece of closure to the family mm -hmm. um we'll we'll see what happens yeah well uh i know it's going to put extreme pressure on the other four policemen now that this one is pleaded guilty and is cooperating fully i also want to ask uh, coach wright his opinion steve wright What's your opinion on this case that rocked all of us in January to begin this year? You know, it like like uh, 
to piggyback off what Jim and, and, and Marlo said, it's sad that we watched this man be beaten to death on on TV. And his mother, you know, I know he's grown, but that's still her child. Imagine her having to watch her son just be beaten like that and die as a result. And uh, they're all guilty. I mean, it's, they, they, you know, they're all guilty. And I don't know what the, I know you have lawyers and, you know, somebody's got to, hey, we got to do, no, uh, you're guilty. Got you on film. You know, so it's just sad all the way around. Black on black is sad. In the, in the city where the dreamer was killed, but also fought for justice so that they could wear those uniforms, that we could get black police on the force, and, uh, and we have this. But um, we're going to stay on top of this story. We had a whole show, or at least 30 minutes dedicated to what it first happened. And we just want to keep everybody up to date. We'll keep praying for the Nichols family and also the family families of those policemen who have already been affected as well, who their wives and their sons, their daughters, they're all innocent but marred for life just as much. So we will stay on top of this story, okay? All righty. Let's go to the top. We have a new month. And yes, we have a woman of the month. And she is considerably the best female basketball player to ever play, even though she didn't play in the NBA. Her name, Cheryl Miller. Oh, yeah. Cheryl Miller, <coughs> born in Riverside, California, January 3rd, 1964, 62, 180 pounds. Went to Riverside Polytech High School and USC. She plays small forward. And yes, she's done it all. Been a coach, assistant coach, and a, and a panelist. But what we remember most She's a two-time NCAA champion in 1983-84, three-time nation player of the year from 84-85 and 86, two-time Honda Sports Awards for that 1984-85, and number 31 was retired by the USC Trojans on her behalf when she left there. She's also been inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame as a player, the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, the FIBA Hall of Fame, and yes, she's accomplished so much internationally as well. She won a gold medal for us in the 1984 Olympic Games in basketball, the Pan American Games 1983 in Caracas, a gold medal, the Goodwill Games in Moscow 86, a gold medal, FIBA World Championship for Women in Rio de Janeiro 1983 silver, 1986 in Moscow, FIBA Games. She won the gold and yes, the Jones Cup in 1984 in Japan. She won the gold medal. All righty, I'm coming to you first, Dr. Kemp. Sure. <laughs> Miller, tell us about it. <laughs> Cheryl Miller, what a giant. Yeah. She was definitely one of the ladies who I remember growing up watching and was the reason why I was interested in, in basketball. And I just loved her because she was just such an amazing and awesome player. I, to me, she is even better than her brother, Reggie Miller. Um, <laughs> she definitely set the standard for women basketball players. Yeah, uh -huh. amazing, Jim. Well, one thing I remember about her, I, and I just saw this this week, where you know she was going to the game and didn't know how she was going to do the game. She scored 105 points in high school. <laughs> and they came back and picked Reggie up and asked Reggie how he did. I had 30 points. I had a good game. How'd you do? 
And then she said she had 105 points, and Reggie almost <laughs> fell out. Yeah. Yeah. Steve? Hey, Jim just stole my story. <laughs> I was going to tell that story. Yeah, they picked up Reggie, and Reggie was excited. They found out his sister scored 105. She, yeah. was the, she was the best woman basketball player I've ever seen. I just wish that they had the WNBA um, back when she was playing because she was, she, was, she was something else. She was, she was a special talent. Yeah, but you know how things are. But you come around a little too late. But she was she was the best. Yeah, yeah. We, we we're gonna get a chance to follow her and go into depth all this month, her college career, her broadcasting career, her international career, all in detail. But we are so glad to have her. We're coming on a, upon our first year anniversary with the show, so it's about twelve or thirteenth woman. And you're right, Cheryl Miller, y'all, Cheryl Miller. Okay, now we want to talk about our Women Executive of the Week. This is a unique lady, Sally Bergeson. Let's remember this name, Sally Bergeson. She's kind of quiet and she stepped into the world of running. And she said that the women didn't have the brand of their own, shoes of their own, apparel of their own, and identity of their own somewhere around 2014. So, Miss Bergeson. Develop the brand called Ocell, O-I-S-E-L-L. It's a running apparel brand for women. And she changed the running world. She's had athletes like Kara Goucher, Lauren Fleshman, and Stephanie Bruce, who proudly wear her clothes. She has a multi-million dollar company she helped generate now. And uh, again, women affecting athletics and executive positions. Dr. Kemp, give us your thoughts. Sally. Yeah. Once again, Dr. Bird, I don't know where you be getting these uh, <laughs> powerful executive women, weekly women of, in the sports arena, but I'm just really happy that you are sharing the information with us and allowing us to look them up and, and find out who they are. Um, would have never known about her, but um, I think this she just definitely had a vision um, you know, just based on just her, her in, in terms of, you know, what she wanted to, to pursue. And the interesting thing about her, she actually didn't even want to go to college and wind up, uh, she started running at the University of Oregon, where she wound up meeting her husband because he was at the University of Washington and they both studied abroad in France. And it was just like all of that, the meeting, their meeting and and the things that she wound up doing in, in college, um, especially running, um, helped her just launch her career into this, this company, being the founder and, C and CEO of this apparel company for women. Yeah. And she never looked back. <laughs> Sally, Ferguson, just up. We want to congratulate uh, yesterday. Uh, they had the infamous New York City Marathon. And we want to go, uh, congratulate Helen O'Beary of Kenya. She won it the women's division in a time of two hours, 27 minutes and 23 seconds. And then second place, there was Tamara, no, Tamara Tola of Ethiopia won it in the men's division. Okay. So Africa is uh, still dominating the marathons. And uh, I don't know how, uh, uh, but they win it. She also, in the women's division, 
won the Boston Marathon. So, Jim, tell me what you think about it. The Kenyans, Ethiopians, still dominating. What do you think about it? You know, there's nothing to say. They pretty much owned long-distance running Olympics, marathons all over the world. And I want to say it's because they train above altitude and that helps them in uh, Kenya and Ethiopia. But they have just had a great run of dominant long-distance runners, marathon runners. Yeah. Let's give it up. Kenya, Ethiopia, New York City Marathon winners. Now, we promised to keep up with volleyball because it seems to come and go very quickly. And today, the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference crowned their champion. And they are none other than Talladega. Talladega won the championship. They defeated fifth, straight sets, 3-0. Uh, this did very well. Uh, let me just go to both teams. This is the first year of Coach Jessica Endley of fifth. Made it to the finals. Been in third place for quite a few the last two years. Last year, Fritz finished 19 and 20. This year, they're 22 or 23 and 13. So they're knocking on the door, and they have a lot of freshmen. So Lady Bulldogs, great job. Knocking on the door in volleyball. Oh, yeah. And now, the coach for um, Talladega, Coach Surjan, I hope I'm saying it right, last year, she was the coach at Dillard University. She lost in the finals to Philander Smith in Dillard's gym, and they were favored. So sometimes a change of environment, a change of kid. They won over 30 games this year at Talladega. This is Talladega's first year back in the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. And, hey, congratulations. You, have, you won the championship, and uh, good luck as they go on to the national playoffs, okay? Talladega will be re- representing the Gulf Coast Conference in volleyball. Now, let me just give you some dates. We're not going to go through their records yet. Coming up November 9th and 10th in Tsunami Center in Jonesboro, Georgia, the SIAC tournament. It's just two days from now. It'll be a two-day tournament, and we will report on that next week. And then, November 16th through 19th, the CIAA at the AC Jordan Arena. It's near Bowie State. They will have their volleyball tournament and we will definitely announce the winners, the winning coaches, et cetera. So volleyball seems to come and go quick. We say we're going to keep up with it this year. We have our first champion. You got it. The ladies from Talladega one more time. We want to welcome our keeper show. I'm North Carolina. We want to welcome Jeff Hutt early in the show. We want to welcome Fisk Basketball Hall of Famer Renee Spencer to the show. Oh, yeah. Now, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit of basketball season. It seemed to creep up on us very, very quickly. And so tonight, we're going to talk about <clears throat> the MEAC and the SWAT women's. These are your preseason first-team players. And I have an announcement on this one. Destiny Howell Howard, Kiara Wheeler of Norfolk State, Marcy Staples of Compton State. This is the MEAC now. Samara Haynes of Maryland Eastern Shore, and Kamara Burks of North Carolina Central. Now, in announcing that, we got some disappointments. Destiny Howe has already torn her ACL. She was the MEAC Player of the Year last year. 
They've won three. The last year, they won the MIAC tournament and went to the big dance. She is out for the year. So Howard's got to make some adjustments there, okay? All right? That's just the way it goes in sports sometimes. Here's the predicted order of finish. First place, Norfolk State. Two, Howard. Three, Morgan State. Four, Maryland Eastern Shore. Five, Compton State. Six, North Carolina Central. Seven, Delaware State. And eight is South Carolina State. That's the way things are predicted to go in the MIAC. However, Destiny Howard is out. Let's go to the SWAC basketball. Preseason all SWAC. The first team, we have Talon Buller of Jackson State, quick to be player of the year. Chanel Wilson of Lou Cookley. Destiny Brown of Alcorn State. Genovia Johnson from Southern. And Korea Beck from Arkansas Pine Bluff. There's your first team picks. And then this is the order of finish for the teams. Of course, number one, Tamika Reed, coach, Jackson State. Number two, Southern. Three, Arkansas Pine Bluff. Four, Alabama A&M. Five, Alabama State. Six, Prairie View A&M. Seven, Bethune Cookman. Eight, Grambling State. Nine, Alcorn State. Nine, Florida A&M. Eleven, excuse me, ten, Florida A&M. Eleven, Texas Southern. And Twelve, Mississippi Valley State. This is the predicted order of finish in the conference this year. We're going to take a break. We're going to come right back. And we're going to go straight to football. And I'm going to let Jim take us away in about 30 seconds. Jim? All righty. Be ready to roll. Here we go. All right, Jim, before you go, so the quick check. Ms. Barbara Bernard, are you there? Can you hear her? Ms. Barbara Bernard, are you there? Can you hear her? All right, we're still working on trying to get her through the line. Jim, take us away. one defending champion LSU yesterday in the first game of the year. That's the first time a number one seed in basketball, a number oh, number one overall team in basketball has ever lost their first game. So, you know, shout out to Colorado and uh, Dion's daughter plays on the team. I don't know how much she played, but Shalomi plays on the Colorado team now. Now, switching up to football, North Carolina Central is at the top of the MEAC with a 3-0 conference record, followed by Howard and South Carolina and Morgan State all at 2-1. Norfolk State and Delaware are both 0-3 in the conference for football. Going to the SWAC, we got some clarity in the SWAC. Florida A&M is already going to the championship game followed by Jackson State and Alabama State, Alabama A&M, and Bethune-Cookman and Mississippi Valley State bring up the rear in the east. In the west, Alcorn right now is 5-1. and one. 
followed by Southern and Prairie View at four and two. Grambling is at three and three. Texas Southern one and five, and Arkansas Pine Bluff is zero oh and six. Now in our rankings, well, let's go to the highlights first. We had North Carolina Central strengthen their grip on the uh, ultimate HBCU sports rankings. They're number one for AMU is number two. Well, Alcorn State is number three. Tennessee State lost. So they've moved down to four. Jackson State, Southern, Alabama State, Alabama A&M, Hampton, and Howard. Now, in the games that occurred last Saturday, Alcorn State blitzed Southern to take first place in the SWAC West. They were able to beat Southern 44 to 21 on Saturday. So Alabama, Alcorn State is in the driver's seat for the SWAC West. FAMU is still unbeaten in the SWAC with a win at Alabama State, 42 to 28. Virginia Union beat Virginia State, so they're going to be playing for the CIAA North title to play in the conference championship against the winner of the South. North Carolina State defeated, North Carolina Central defeated Norfolk State as they are already in the championship of the MEAC. They won 38 to 24. Uh, Tennessee State, which was riding high, went to play at Charleston Southern and lost by 14, 35 to 21. It was a turnover laden game, but Tennessee State was not able to overcome those turnovers. And as I said before, they're playing in a Big South OVC mix this year because I think five teams left the OVC and a lot of Tennessee State's main rivals, Murray State, Eastern Kentucky, Austin P, Belmont, all left the OVC. So as I know, Cliff and I talked about this. This might be the time for Tennessee State to try to get in the MEAC especially in football, when they only have six teams in the MEAC. So it might be a good time for them to make that switch. And finally, Benedict finished the regular season perfect with a win over Allen. 37-9. Now in other news, Morehouse defeated Clark. Both teams were winless in the battle of the AUC. Atlanta University, where they both are in, in, in that area. Morehouse fired their coach, I see, after eight months in the position, after he won the game. So, and uh, Atlanta, and now Clark had already fired their coach. 
So, you know, stay tuned for this. The college football CFP poll just came out, and it has no change in the top four with Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, then then Florida State. And you've got Oregon, you've got Washington and Oregon in the top six. So we have two games with teams in the top four that are playing top ten rivals. Georgia plays Ole Miss, which is the number ninth ranked team, and Michigan plays Penn State, which is the tenth ranked team. Now, on to the NFL. First thing I want to announce is that uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, after losing the Detroit Lions on the way back home, fired their head coach and their general manager. Now, you guys from New York might know the head coach, Antonio Pierce. Mm. And interestingly enough, when they were were talking about – they had a team-only meeting, and Antonio Pierce, who played for the Giants when they beat the previously undefeated New England Patriots, said they all had to have a belief and faith that they would win that game in the Super Bowl. Now, Josh McDaniel, the former coach, went to him and said, don't ever talk bad about the Patriots again. (laughs) And like I said, he was fired. You know, it's sad that you have a lot of these coaches that start out, he started out under Belichick. Matt Patricia's the same way, and they try to be Belichick. Mm-hmm. And the players smell that, and they're phony, and they, you know, they they never amount to much. And it's doubly sad in McDaniel's case because he was a coach of the Denver Broncos, had that same problem, went back to Belichick, and it seems like he did not change. Mm-hmm. Now. On to that favorite league, the NFL. And we see that the uh, the games this week, you know, start out with the Steelers and the Titans playing on Thursday night. The Steelers won that game to go to 5-3, and 16-20. Then we go over to Germany, where the Chiefs and the Dolphins play, and the Chiefs were able to prevail 21 to 14. Dolphins have had an explosive offense, but the three teams they played that are over 500, they've lost all three. Mm-hmm. Vikings beat the Falcons, and the Vikings had a quarterback, Josh, Joshua Dobbs, who got to the team was traded on the trade deadline on Tuesday. Didn't know a lot of the players. Their, their, uh, the starting quarterback got knocked out, so Dobbs had to come in and threw three touchdown passes. And the owner had to introduce himself to him after the game because he really didn't know anybody. The Cardinals lost to the Browns 27-0. to Now, the Cardinals news, uh, Kyler Murray, has been activated, so he probably will play some on Sunday. The Commanders were able to beat the Patriots 20-17. to 17. The Saints defeated the Bears 17-14. to 14. Ravens swamped 
Seattle, 37-3. to the Lamar Jackson is 18 and one against NFC teams. Mm-hmm. Only losing, I believe, to the Giants. Okay. Now, the Buccaneers lost to the Texans 39 to 37. CJ Stroud had a record, a rookie record, 470 yards passing and five TDs, throwing his last touchdown pass with about six seconds left in that game to defeat the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. Colts beat the Panthers 27-13. Giants lost to the Raiders 30-6. to And there was a whole different mood in the clubhouse by the Raiders after they won that game under head coach, interim head coach Antonio Pierce. And the Giants also lost, it seems like, their quarterback for the rest of the year, Daniel Jones. Okay. Renee's Cowboys played an excellent game, but just could not punch it in at the end against the Eagles and lost 23 to 28. Mm-hmm. And on Monday night, last night, the Bills lost to the Bengals 18 to 24. Mm-hmm. Now, my top five for the NFL are going to be, you've got the two teams played in the Super Bowl, which are Philadelphia and Kansas City, are one and two with Philadelphia going in one. Baltimore Ravens, who have come on and won five straight at number three. Number four, I have the Lions at six and two. And number five, I have Jacksonville. At six and two. All right. That is my top five. All righty. Thanks so much, Jim. Thanks so much, Jim. We're going to have a trouble getting Miss Bernard through. I'm going to try one more time. Miss Bernard, are you there? Can you hear us? I still have technical difficulty. Steve, let's go. Keep us up to par. Basketball. Uh, I think it was November the second. I'm not sure. Uh, Walter Davis died. Walter Pearl Davis, um, out of uh, Pinesville, North Carolina. Of course, he went to the University of North Carolina, and um, when he was in high school, he won three state titles. He spent one year at a prep school, then went to North Carolina, and and you know the rest is history. They called him Sweet D, and North Carolina, but and when he got to uh, Phoenix, who drafted him fifth, uh, they, he became known as the Greyhound. He was also the uncle of uh, Hubert Davis, the current North Carolina coach. He was 69 years old. He's uh, a Phoenix Suns all-time leading scorer. He was a 1976 Olympic gold medalist. Uh, he played with, for the Suns from 1977 to 1988. Then he spent uh, two years with the Nuggets from 88 to 91. Then he spent a year with the Trailblazers from 91 to 92, and then he retired. He was a six-time NBA All-Star, two-time NBA second team, rookie of the year. Of course, he was all-rookie team. Uh, his number six was retired. 
by Phoenix. He scored 19,521 points uh, in his career, which has gave him a career average of 18.9 a game. He had 3,878 assists, 1,280 steals, yes, and he ended up being a broadcaster for the Nuggets and the Wizards. We also lost Robert Montgomery Knight, Bobby Knight, <laughs> known as the general. You're going you gonna to have to cut me off, Cliff, because this is, hey, keep I, going, have, keep going. I got time. He uh, ended his career with 902 wins. And uh, at the time of his retirement, that was number one, but he was surpassed by one of his protégés, uh, Coach Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, right now, he stands at six all-time in wins. He was a National Coach of the Year in 75, 76, 87, 89. He played his college ball at Ohio State, where he played forward, and they won a national championship when uh, he was playing. He coached at Army from 65 to 71, where he coached Coach Krzyzewski, excuse me, uh, and then he went to Indiana from 71 uh, to 2000. He went from to Texas Tech from 2001 to 2008, where he retired. Uh, he won three national championships in Indiana, 1976, 1981, 1987. Uh, that 1976 team was undefeated. Yeah. Uh, uh, in that 1981 team, he had Isaiah Thomas. Yes, sir. In that 1987 team, he had uh, the smart kid that hit the baseline smart. jump shot to get it. Yes, too smart, thank you. Uh, he was the master of the motion offense. Uh, he got a lot out of the motion offense. It was hard to stop. You're going to have a long night if you played a man-to-man. -man. His teams also played great defense. Uh, then you have the controversies throughout his life, the, sure. the chair-throwing incidents. Uh, uh, he had uh, incidents where he headbutted a kid. He choked a kid. One kid wrote a book uh, about him, and uh, he, he he detailed things where he uh, he would actually grab kids by the testicles. Oh boy! And he yeah, he was one of them. Uh, he had an argument with a wrestling coach. Uh, told him to get out of the gym, and the rest of the coach came and pinned him to the wall, so they had to get him off of him. <laughs> he had a he had an incident where he actually smacked Joe B. Hall in the back of the head. Hmm. And Joe B. said he was humiliated by it. Uh, he, uh, it was rumored that he punched the sports information director in the face. And, of course, you know, uh, he assaulted a cop in Puerto Rico. Of course, he threw the chair across the, across, across the floor. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, he, he was a colorful guy, but he had a lot of, lot of anger issues. He, he wasn't a fan of um, uh, John Wooden. And the reason he wasn't a fan of John Wooden is because of Sam Gilbert, who was the biggest booster 
in the history of college athletics. And uh, he uh, made a, uh, Wood made a, uh, a statement tonight saying, I just can't get Sam Gilbert away from my program. And Knight's response was, why not? He did not, uh, he did not respect him at all. But I also said years ago, and I said, if you switch places and you give Bobby Knight, Dean Smith's talent, Knight would have Knight would have passed Wooden if he didn't run him off. Mm. He would have he would have passed Wooden because the man could coach. He just you know he he just had issues, and uh, I think the last straw was when he grabbed the kid on the campus by the arm, and you know because the kid disrespected him, got called him and said, "Hey, Knight," you know, and, and he didn't like that. He said, "You either call me Coach Knight or Mister Knight." And hey, so, hey, yeah. Let me ask you this. One of the things that Coach Knight and all of his controversies that people, we don't mention enough, though, he graduated a very high percentage of his players. In spite of his uh, antics and everything else, we got to give him some credit for that. And That uh, was a priority. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, I'll never forget, the kid Landon Turner who played for him, who got in the wheelchair. He had yeah, paralyzed. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So came back to campus and um, asked Coach, well, you know, I'm crippled. And Coach told him he better get his you-know-what to class because now you really got to graduate. And that kid graduated. And so yeah. there's two sides to him. And uh, his, his players often talk about both sides to him. And many still appreciate yeah. that they play for him. Others could take it, but some right. could. So, you know, he, uh, he had a lot of good qualities because he demanded that you're going to come in, you're going to go to class, you're going to graduate, and we're going to win. Yeah. He had that, he kind of like, you know, the great Don Meyer. He had a care about the kids as people. Now, he didn't treat them all right, but, you know, that was an anger problem. But I, I think the good that he did, his, his players revere him. They revere him, and I think you know he you know he had dementia near the end here, and uh, you know, but uh, they did get him back on campus last year. Yeah, to celebrate with the uh, eighty-one uh, basketball team. But the guy that wrote the book was a former former player named Todd Jadlow, and uh, you know he punching kids and all that stuff. He said he yeah. cracked a, a clipboard across his head. You know, that was just so thing. And then he made a, a, a very horrible statement uh, to Connie Chung when they, she was asking him something about his team. And he said, it's just like rape. If okay. rape is inevitable, relax and enjoy it. And yeah. that, that was disgusting. We'll leave, that, uh, we'll leave Coach Knight alone on that one, Steve. Listen, but uh, <laughs> we don't want that to be his legacy. But I want to, no. we, we're going to move on because um, we have to talk some, and I'm trying to get Barbara Bernard through. Uh, that is, but not Knight is a Hall of Famer. And um, he's made no some statements, but he's done a lot of great. And uh, Coach Steve Wright will be back full force basketball next week. Thanks for the insight. Both today. Coach Thank you. Bobby Knight. All right.
do one more sound check, and then we're going to go to commercial. If we can't get Bernard through, we're still going to go ahead and have a type of chat, and we're going to talk about the importance of the Malcolm Bernard HBCU College Fair. Okay? Ms. Bernard, can you hear me? All right. We're just having trouble getting the mic through. We're going to go to a break, and we're going to keep on tonight with the show. Back, Dr. Cliff Burton, friend, featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports at HBCU athletics. And yes, <clears throat> we are now heard on over 17 apps. We also heard and have been downloaded in over nine different countries. And we're coming upon our first anniversary. Dr. Cliff Burton, friends, we couldn't do it without you. We want you to continue to spread the word. Now, we have in the studio tonight, we have a clinical difficulty, but let me tell you about this legendary woman, Mrs. Barbara Bernard. Barbara Bernard and married to the late Malcolm Bernard had a vision in 1999. And then the vision was for a college fair up here in the Northeast area, Jersey, New York, and Philadelphia. They wanted young people to learn about HBCUs and the opportunities that they give. So the Malcolm Bernard Historically Black College and University Fair is a nonprofit volunteer organization that partners with community and state agencies to introduce a multitude of students eager to learn about higher education opportunities. The college admissions representatives from the campuses of historically black colleges and universities throughout New Jersey, New York, Philadelphia. Since 1999, this organization, which was founded, listen to this y'all, has partnered with community groups and state agencies to introduce nearly 200,000 diverse students to historically black colleges and universities and to help the students reach their higher educational goals. 2019, Dr. Bernard Career College Prep Program was initiated to create greater access to colleges for diverse, underserved students. This program emphasized financial literacy, college search, career exploration, application process, and life skills. And she said that they achieved this by having college readiness workshops, forums, and activities designed increase the level of understanding and pursue a college degree for students, parents, and guardians. We strive to have participants apply to colleges, she says, get accepted and graduate with a minimal amount of student debt. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't get it through, but we sure gonna give her a hand. None other than Mrs. Bernard. Barbara Bernard, the executive director of the Malcolm Bernard HBCU College Fair. Anybody, and I'm going to start with you, James. And Ms. Bernard, you can please type in the chat, and so can our listeners. But just tell us what an HBCU means to you. We're going to come in a second. Let me say a few more. 
November 7th, 11th to 17th here in Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey. We'll be having a college fair on each of those days. And for students, www.hbcu-cfnj.com. It's also on our screen here. Please spread the word. Each fair each year reaches about 12,000 students, y'all. And we want our young people to know the opportunities in front of them. And um, they need to come dressed. They need to come with the transcripts. They're accepting young folks on the slot, on the spot. This is a big decision, y'all. Jim, tell us what HBCU has mean, has meant, and means to you. And anybody else can type in the chat. HBCUs, Jim. Well, HBCU is like a fan, well, Fisk. I can only speak for that. It's like a big family. We're going back this year for a reunion. I mean, for homecoming. And unfortunately, we're mourning the passing of one of our brothers. But we still get together each year and have a good time. And I think that's something that is different than the PWI when you have HBCU. It's that family atmosphere. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one of the reasons we're so excited, uh, thank you, Jim, about this fair, uh, Mrs. Bernard and her vision and, and, and her husband's vision, I guess if they started in 1999, the amount of students who are already, okay, doctors and lawyers and teachers, she's produced so many that who started out at her fairs, huh? And we'll go over some stats later on what HBCUs do. But um, we want to just thank her so much for that and, and continue to talk about that. Dr. Kemp, tell us, like, Jim, you're Fisk University. Dr. Kemp, Tennessee State University. Tell us about this and what an HBCU means and it's meant to you. Dr. Kemp? Steve, I'm coming to you. Steve, go ahead, Steve. Well, I happen to have gone to two HBCUs, Tennessee State and Fisk University, and I played basketball at both of them. And they actually played last night at Tennessee State, beat this 76 to 61. But the 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 it's like a family atmosphere. It is nothing like going to a HBCU. It's just like seeing us all together as one, you know, matriculating, trying to reach a goal of being successful, but loving your brothers and sisters. It's just nothing like the experience of a HBCU. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll start socially first because that's also part of, of, of development. And uh, I'll let uh, if we can get Dr. Kemp on. Tell us about an HBCU homecoming at Tennessee State or at HBCU. Dr. Kemp? Steve, tell us about Tennessee State's homecoming. Well, uh, it's a big thing. And it's, it's funny, I start riding around by the campus to see what's going on like Thursday and Friday and everybody's uh, setting up booths for stuff to sell, food, they've got music. It's just a big, it's a big party that uh, everybody loves and comes out and just has a good time and people come back and you get to see you, people you uh, went to school with and uh, it's just, you know, it's TSU, it's, uh, it's a special place, it really is. Yeah. And Mark Cooper, whose uh, son 
I believe, is graduating from North Carolina and T. He says, go Aggies. And I heard there's nothing like an Aggie pole coming out there either. And uh, I heard they have a good time. Now, oftentimes in recruitment, and I, I want to say this, Miss Barbara Bernard is recommended highly to us, and Layla Wingard from Fisk University helped orchestrate this for us. We appreciate it. Also, the Jersey Fisk Alumni Association. But when we go out and recruit, you'll hear students say, I, I don't know if I should go to the HBCU. I don't know if the education is good enough. Well, let's go through the numbers. According to, <clears throat> according to US, UNCF stats, it states that uh, though HBCUs make up only 3% of the country's colleges and universities, they enroll 10% of all African-American students and produce almost 20% of all African-American graduates. HBCUs actually work to address the financial obstacles that students face. Back on the average, the cost of attendance at an HBCU is 28% less than attending a comparable non-HBCU. Most of our students say they report feeling financially secure during college as opposed to 29% of black students at other schools. Dr. Kemp, are you there now? Hi, Dr. Bird, I'm here, yes. All righty. So it talks about the financial security of our students at our schools. In essence, let's just be honest, 60 to 70% of our students come to HBCUs needing financial aid, okay? And they're all kind of payment plans, payment plans on top of payment plans, huh? But and HBCU will go to the ultimate left to make sure that the students have the optimal chance to get through if they're a good student and working and not let finance keep you from graduating. Can I get a witness? Dr. Kemp, tell me what you, you have. A, you have a witness. Amen. I'm in the amen corner. <laughs> Most definitely. Uh, yeah. Tell us about your experience at the Tennessee State University it offered you a tremendous foundation. And then tell us uh, one of the things that they say students, does an HBC degree prepare you for the next level? So tell them what your Fisk University, Tennessee State University degree has done for you. Well, I remember just coming from uh, Illinois, from Chicago to Tennessee, you know, going to school there and like you said not um first time away from school and you know not knowing a, a lot of people but you know you definitely had the support there was a chicago club so once you got there with so many different clubs and students that was actually from your hometown which you didn't know until you got there and then like you said just um the school itself afforded you they made sure that um, even if you had financial issues, they made sure that you was giving work study um, to just help provide the finances. They made sure that they weren't going to get you there, admit you, get you there to turn you around um, and send you back home. They did definitely did everything that they could to um, make sure that you stayed there, supported you, and you actually made it through and graduated um you know during the times that you were supposed to graduate if you did your part absolutely um, just having mm -hmm. that foundation and just having long life friendships um to this day um it has definitely afforded me to you know be able to just do a lot of things that i never thought that i would be able to do um i graduated out of biology 
my ultimate goal was to be a medical physician but i actually wind up learning um, about myself and i was able to get in research which i had never ever thought of before doing research um, and wind up getting um, a phd just through all of my foundation from tennessee state university yeah mark cooper a nurse 34 years a graduate of oakwood he says college but they're actually oakwood university now and so go mark cooper hbcu grad as well let me give you some more information about malcolm bernard hbcu family again you can find it on the website www.hbcu-efnj.com you can find out all the information you want now it's uh sponsored by Michael Bernard HBC Fair Incorporated, but it's also in collaboration with New Jersey Department of Education, New York Urban League, the School District of Philadelphia, Omega Delta Upsilon Foundation, and Raritan Valley Community College. It goes six days. Let me give it to you, okay? November 11th, it's in New York. Uh, November 12th, in Trenton. November 13th, in South Jersey. November 15th, in Philadelphia. Uh, November 16th in North Jersey and November 17th in Central Jersey. If you go to the website, it will tell you exactly the address of the facilities to go to in those different cities. This is a tremendous event. Spread the word. Young folks deserve the same opportunity and we can't make the correct choices if we don't know what those choices are. Now, let me give you some more stats and I'm going to tell you my story, okay? I'm going to come to you, Steve, for my story. Well, true education is measured when you leave an institution, not when you're there. So the students, this is again for USDF, have an advantage long past graduation. A whopping 25% of African-American graduates with STEM degrees, science, technology, engineering, and math come from historically bad colleges and universities. Eight HBCUs were among the top 20 institutions to award the most science and engineering bachelor degrees to black graduates in 2008 the 2012, and yes, Mark, Mark North Carolina AT is one of them. An HBCU graduate can expect to earn, listen to this, an additional $927,000 in their lifetime, which is 56% more than they can expect to earn without an HBCU degree or certificate. So yes, not only does it cost, but more than that, it pays to go to an HBCU. Steve, tell us what Tennessee State, this and Tennessee State has done for you, your career, uh, educational wise as far as your foundation Steve. you know cliff is, is is funny the relationships you build when you go to an hbcu with friends that you are you have friends forever i was at uh i was only fifth for a year and a half but the relationships that i had well you and i were with the high school and played ball together but like with Jim and everybody else that was there, Mark and everybody. I mean, the relationships you build there are just awesome. And you you always got somebody that you're tied to, that you can reach out to. And when my father was there, he had people that he went to fist with that reached out to him and he would do a favor or something like that. So you build relationships and it's just no telling somebody may be able to help you out with a business that you're trying to, that you're interested in or something else. But it's just, uh, like I said, I would not have, I wouldn't trade my uh, 
time at Tennessee State and Fisk for anything, anything. Absolutely. It was just a great experience. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Steve, uh, first of all, I want to welcome our 64 engaged listeners tonight who are listening on the show plus another 15 who are here in the studio typing in the chat and listening. So as you can see, our show is growing, and then we're averaging now about 40 to 50 downloads a week. And it's all because of the products of HBCU graduates, Jim, Mark, uh, yourself, uh, I mean, uh, James, uh, Marlo, right? And then, of course, from Hampton University, we have Ms. Bernard on here tonight. We have Mark Cooper, Oakland University, Renee Spencer, Fisk University. The list goes on and on, okay? And so there's no secret what HBCUs can do. Now, before we go, I said I'll tell you mine. There would be no, forget Dr. Cliff Burton, friends, if it wasn't for Fisk University. There wouldn't even be a college grad. Uh, coming out of high school, some of you know the story. I want to be a doctor. But my senior year in high school, I had a teacher, unfortunately, who didn't have my best interest at heart and didn't look like me. And the one subject I couldn't pass was chemistry. Quite honestly, I was consistent. I got straight up in chemistry my senior year. The teacher told me I did not have the aptitude for sciences. More or less, um, a physician. Uh, the last day I heard when I left high school. And I somehow I got to Fisk University. I became not just motivated, but stimulated. That's the difference. In an HBCU, motivation is from within. Stimulation is when you see somebody that looks like you, that's doing what somebody else said you couldn't do. And that was all around me. So before I ended up leaving there, I ended up leaving Fisk University with a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry, a Master of Arts degree in Chemistry. I did eventually get into medical school, and I got an MD. And uh, the foundations from Fisk were so strong that it even led to two more, an MBA, and yes, an MED in education. And so tonight, as the Cliff Burton friends, because of the foundation of Fisk University, made this F high school student chemistry believe he could be a science major and a pre-med major. And so, you know, I know we can get a witness on that. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. Ms. Bernard, we are going to have you back. We're going to get this technology or the technical uh, uh, corrected, but it is it is giants like you, visionaries like you, legends like you, while we have the largest HBC fair here in the northeastern part of the country. And students continue to gain the insight and the same opportunity that we have had in going to black colleges and universities. And the because of Malcolm, we just say you also are a legend. None other than Mrs. Barbara Bernard. Yeah. James, I'm going to say a word of encouragement or congratulations to Ms. Bernard. She's listening in the studio. You know, we can't get a through. Okay, I want to thank Mrs. Bernard for her tireless work. And Cliff, I just had a quick stat. I just want to talk about HBCUs sure. and their graduates. We have... Over half of the nation's public school teachers come from HBCUs. Mm -hmm. You have 67% of all medical doctors, physicians. Yeah. 50% 50, 50 of your lawyers and 40% uh, of your engineers all come from HBCUs. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Steve, 
I'm going to say a word to Mr. Arthur, but no, I call her a legend. This is great what she's doing. Uh, she is a legend, and it's, it's great. I'm glad you do this, Cliff, because we need to know about people like uh, Dr. Bernard who are doing things. We need to see this. Our kids need to see this, and they can strive for something. Somebody that looks like us, that can, that has done it, and it's a pattern, and if you can be consistent. And uh, let me say one thing about HBCUs. Sure. Sure. They see the person. You're not just a number. They see the person. They want you to excel. That's how your professors are at HBCUs. And they go the extra mile. And uh, it's just uh, the biggest benefit is that they see you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the way. All the way, at least to the vice presidency right now, huh? <laughs> Dr. Kemp, word for Mrs. Barbara Bernard, founder, executive director, Malcolm Bernard, HBCU family. Mrs. Bernard, sorry that you weren't able to get in on this side with us, but of course, we would definitely have you back on. Thank you so much for all that you do have done and will continue to do to help our young minds shape the young minds of, of those that's coming behind us to at least know about HBCUs and actually be able to attend um, our great universities and colleges that we have out there. Um, you are definitely a legend. We greatly appreciate you and everything that you are doing. And we look forward to definitely having you back on the show with us so we can definitely talk to you on in person. Yes, yes, yes. Before I go, uh, Mark Cooper from Oakwood University says he met his wife 32 years at an HBCU. Boy, how many marriages have HBCUs brought together, huh? Miss mm -hmm. Bernard, I can't say thank you enough. Um, I know our audience, not just here in the studio, now knows what you're doing, but also our show that's heard in every country. Our being is heard in every country. And, um, we want them to know the great things about you. You are a legend. We are honored to have you on the show. Um, and I want to have you back to hear your voice. I know we talked on the phone, but thank you for the vision along with your husband, Malcolm Bernard. Ladies and gentlemen, one more time, Mrs. Barbara Bernard. We're moving into basketball season. And as you know, we've been having some of our guests on. Many basketball coaches are coming. We try to get commissioners on our show pretty soon. And uh, we're just going to keep going. We hit our anniversary this month, around November 29th. Thanks to you right now, we've had 1,047 downloads of our show. Our only, we were hoping to get the 500 in a year, but you guys have made this thing happen. Dr. Kip Burton's friends is going to keep bringing it to you. Keep spreading the word, and we want everybody back in 168 hours from now. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Miss Barbara Bernard. Thank you.